0: Welcome to worship from Jessup First United Methodist Church. We're glad that you're here with us today. I'm Rebecca Duke Barton, and I'm here with my husband and co-pastor Garth. This fall, we're reading parables of the kingdom of God from the Gospel of Matthew. Today's parable, along with the next two that will follow, deals with the authority of Jesus and our choice in whether to be his disciples and follow his kingdom principles. It's also World Communion Sunday, and Christians around the world will gather at the table of the Lord. If you're in Jessup, I invite you to come to communion with us at Jessup First United Methodist Church. We take communion at the first Sunday of every month at the 11 o'clock service. And then at our 855 service in the Fellowship Hall, we take communion weekly. If you aren't close by, I encourage you to find a church near you and go and receive communion. As we consider what it means to say yes to Jesus and to be part of the body of Christ, we want to read two scriptures. One is Philippians 2, 1 through 13, and the other is Matthew 21, 23 through 32. Will you listen as Garth reads the glorious hymn from Philippians 2?
1: Philippians 2, 1 through 13. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure.
0: The beginning of Matthew 21 has an important moment in the life of Jesus, the triumphal entry when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He went right to the temple and started turning over the table of the money changers. We normally read that part of Matthew on Palm Sunday. Jesus came in with a glimpse of what Philippians 2 shows. He is the name that is exalted over every other name. We read Philippians and we know that Jesus has authority to chase the money changers out of the temple because he has authority over everything. The religious leaders of Jesus's day didn't see it like that though. They saw an itinerant teacher from another town coming to wreak havoc on their temple. The audacity of flipping the tables, the temerity of coming in acting like he was in charge. They wanted to discredit him and they wanted to do it in front of as many people as possible. They waited until he was in the temple again and approached him in front of a crowd to question his authority. This is where we pick up in Matthew 21, beginning at verse 23. Listen out for the parable that comes in the second half of the conversation with the chief priests and elders. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, then we're afraid of the crowd for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered, Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In Journey with Jesus, Debbie Thomas tells the story of the time in her family when they were invited over to dinner at the home of a church member. She was young, and so after she finished eating, the grown-ups were still talking. She sat down and she was supposed to be coloring, but you know how kids will do. She started exploring. She opened every drawer of the desk where she was sitting, and she found a treasure trove, a keychain collection. Apparently, this is what they'd collected when they visited various states and national monuments and every company that gives away free things. There were so many keychains, a drawer full. There was one in particular that she loved. It was a gold chain that had an ice cream cone with vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. She wanted it, and so she put it in her pocket and took it home. At bedtime, the keychain fell out of her pocket, her parents asked the questions that you'd ask where did you get that debbie what do you mean you found it she finally confessed that she'd taken it from the drawer at the home that they had been visiting and the battle of wills began her father insisted that she was going to call right then admit that she had taken it and apologize and debbie said no she was not sorry they obviously didn't care about the keychain. She found it in a drawer piled up with so many others. She didn't feel bad and she wasn't going to apologize. On and on the conversation went until her father finally won out. He called the couple and handed her the phone and she gave a very half hearted, I'm sorry. And the next morning she returned the keychain and it seemed that all was well. She was back in everyone's good graces. Debbie says that she didn't take. From that the lesson that her father had hoped. He wanted her to learn to repent and to make up for what she'd done wrong. But the lesson that she took away is that if you just say the right words, that's all that matters. Debbie Thomas writes, the lesson I learned is that confession and obedience are primarily about saying the right things, the formulaic things, the expected things, the pious, dutiful, Christianese things. For years afterwards, I failed to understand repentance as a multi dimensional action an engaged and engaged in ongoing action of the heart, mind, soul, and body. Just spout the words the grown ups want to hear, I told myself as a kid, and they'd leave you alone. Just talk like a good Christian and you'll be one. It's easy, isn't it, for our Christian faith to slip into that mindset? We've said yes to Jesus. Surely that's all that's required of us. Say the right words and you're forgiven. You can live any wild way that you want and that's okay because you're going to heaven and that's all that matters. Say the right words and you're a member of the church. We promise to support the church with our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. We make the promise. Keeping the promise doesn't really matter because we're part of the body of Christ and so it doesn't matter what we do. We say yes, we don't always live yes. Our parable for today pushes us to consider what it means to say yes to Jesus and to live it. The religious leaders have come to Jesus to challenge his authority, and Jesus responds with a question about John the baptizer's authority. John the baptizer was popular among the people. The religious leaders knew that if they disparaged him, it might turn the people against him. But if they say his call to repentance is from God's authority, Jesus is going to ask them why they didn't listen to John's preaching and repent. So they punt on the question and Jesus tells them a parable. In the story, a man with two sons asks each of his sons to go to work in the vineyard. The first one says, I will not, but then changes his mind and goes. The second says, I will go, sir, but he did not go. Then Jesus asks, Which of the two did the will of the father? It's, of course, the one who actually went to the vineyard, not the one who just said yes. We all have that one friend that promises to be at everything, but you know they aren't coming. And you can't decide. Do I set at a place at the table? I, I know they're going to cancel. Do I wait a few more minutes in case they show up? It's a common theme in literature, too. It's in Little Women. Marmee asks her four daughters to go visit the Hummel family, an appropriate name for a humble family in their town who needed some help. All four have good intentions of going, but it's only Beth who actually makes the time to go. Shakespeare's play King Lear starts that way, too. He plans to divide his kingdom among his three daughters, But first, he wants them to express their love. The two older daughters fawn all over their father. They fall over themselves trying to tell how much they love him. But they're secretly working against him. It's his daughter Cordelia who won't make a fuss. But then as things fall apart, she shows her love. We hear Jesus's question, which did the will of the father? this is where jesus really shakes up his listeners truly i tell you the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of god ahead of you can't you imagine the religious leaders saying how can it be that sinners are going into the kingdom of god ahead of us can't you imagine some of us sitting in the pews at church asking the same thing jesus is inviting his questioners to look at the world differently First, they're invited to think differently about the people that they would call sinners. Absolutely, the tax collectors and prostitutes had said no to God at one point. They had lived lives away from God's will. But then they heard the teaching of John and the call to repentance. They heard the invitation of grace that Jesus gave. They might've come to it late, but they repented and turned their lives around. It's like the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew 20 who started the day with an hour left to work. It's the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair. It's Zacchaeus. It's the thief on the cross. If that's you, friends, if you're that son, it's not too late. The vineyard is open. It's not too late to repent, to change your mind, to turn around. Jesus says, come. The sixth century abbot John Climacus wrote in the Ladder of Divine Ascent, let your prayer be very simple. For the tax collector and the prodigal son, just one word was enough to reconcile them to God. Beloveds, that word is yes. Yes to Jesus, yes to his grace, yes to the fullness of the kingdom of God, yes to the mind of Christ. It must have felt very close to Matthew, the tax collector, to write it, to know that he'd started out his life with a no to God. But when he heard the call of Jesus, his no became a yes. What about the people whose yes becomes a no? The ones who say yes to the Father but don't actually go to the vineyard. This group thinks that they are just fine, no notes, They don't need to believe John the baptizer. They don't need to believe Jesus. They don't need to repent. We should make it a policy. If anyone says that they've never had a reason to repent, go the other way. Because these are the people who say yes to God, but don't do what he asks. Jesus points out that these sons need to look at themselves differently. They can't see that they need to repent. Even when grace is overflowing and calling them to repentance, all they can do is point the finger at somebody that they think hasn't repented properly. This is what Jesus said. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. What if that's me? What if I'm that son who gave a yes, but lived a no? I have good news for you. It's not too late for you either. You didn't change your mind. You didn't believe, but Jesus is still calling you. Notice that when Jesus says that those who repented, even the ones who came late, will come to the kingdom ahead of you, he still leaves the door open. As Taylor Mertens points out, Jesus says that those are going in ahead of you, not instead of you. Jesus isn't saying that these folks won't be welcomed into the kingdom, but the first will be last and the last will be first. You didn't change your mind about John the Baptist, but it's not too late to take on the mind of Christ. So what does it mean to say yes to Jesus? Does it mean to answer an altar call one time and never give Jesus any more thought? Or does it mean taking on the mind of Christ? Philippians 2 spells it out for us, a life in Christ, a life in his kingdom brings love, sharing in the spirit, compassion, sympathy, putting the interests of others above your own, being in full accord and of one mind. Good news for World Communion Sunday. I think Jesus presents this parable and asks us the question, which son are you? Are you the one who thinks you have it all together and don't need to repent? Or are you one who sees the new life that Jesus is offering and comes running to the broken body and blood of Christ for a second chance? It's not too late to change your mind. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Come to the vineyard. Jesus is waiting. Will you pray with me? Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we hear your call to the vineyard. Sometimes we say no, we won't go. Turn our hearts back to you, O oh Lord. Sometimes we say yes, but we let the busyness of our lives keep us away. Forgive us, Lord. Let us receive your grace to say yes, to have the mind of Christ, to live in newness of life. In the name of the one that is above every other name, Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.